Well, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. And if you're a guest with us, we're especially glad that you're here. And the one thing we'd ask you to do this morning is if you could look in the front pew rack, there's a guest registration card. And if you could take that, fill it out. There's a place if you have a prayer request or if you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, you can indicate that on the card. Later on in our service, when the offering comes by, you can just drop that into plate and that can be your offering this morning. Another quick way that we can connect though, something we don't talk a whole lot about, but we probably want to talk about it more, is that if you have your phone with you right now, what you can do is go to your Facebook app and type in First Baptist Church, and you can like our page on Facebook. And what that does is it gives you an instant way to get announcements from us, and also it kind of makes us aware of who you are, and we can kind of get to know you that way as well. So that's just another quick way that we can connect and uh, share information there online as well. So with that being said, we're going to continue to worship, and let's uh, just kind of kick off our worship service by just standing and greeting everybody with a smiling face and saying hello. There's a lull here. I just want to say, because the choir will be gone by the time I'm back up here to preach, don't you just want to take a moment before we leave Crimson Gospel to say, man, they did a great job last Sunday night. Uh, to all of our band and orchestra and singers, uh, man, that was just a great worship. And we appreciate your hard work and leading us in worship. I just wanted to say that to you because some of you will be gone before I'm back up here again. And if you weren't here, we they had this place just packed. If you weren't here, uh, there's a CD of it, a book CD, and everything in the bookstore. It's well worth it. I've been listening to it all this week. So I just wanted to share that. Continue on your worship. <laughs> Thank you, worship service. Thank you. Hey, uh, okay, let's, let's sing together. There is power in the blood. There's power in the blood. There is power, power. 
can please be seated. The power, the same power that rose Jesus from the, the grave lives in us.
one of the songs that we did at Crimson Gospel was this one. It's called No Longer Slaves, and uh, it's one of our favorite. Katie, come down here. We're going we're gonna to sing it for you. Galatians 4.1 says, Galatians 4.1 through 7 says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up. Even though they actually own everything their father had, they have to obey the guardians until they reach whatever age the father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son 
born of a woman, subject to the law, God born him. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he had that, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And we became and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his own. And the people said,
want you just to uh, read responsibly with me. I want to read some passages from the Bible that inspire me, especially pertaining to being no longer being slaves. And I want you to respond. Will you stand with me and say, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Let's just try that. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Now say it like you mean it. Now declare it. Declare it, okay? This is not just a little thing. This is a big thing. Come on, let me hear you. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Psalm 32.7 says this. You are my hiding you preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. And we say, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Isaiah 12, 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and song. And, and he has become my salvation. And we say, Romans 8.15 says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the people said, Galatians 4.7 says, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And we say, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. John, 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. And we say, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. And the people said, Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, Todd. It's good to see you today. Glad you're here. I want to share a few things with you before we uh, look at God's Word together today. First of all, I just want to thank you for those of you who prayed for me. I tore some ligaments in my knee a couple of weeks ago, and um, I've pain-free now and probably back about 80 or 90 percent of my mobility and strength and I give all praise to God and thank you for your prayers and so I'm just grateful to God for that and thank you so much and and uh, keep praying for me my biggest problem now is that Cindy keeps yelling at me you're not you can't do that so if you'd pray for me in that regard right now that's probably my biggest problem right now Hey, um, I've written a new book entitled How to Have a Better Life, and uh, today's the first Sunday that it's available in our bookstore. Uh, you all allowed me to have a sabbatical four weeks about a, a year and a half ago, and I spent part of the time writing then, so I want to thank you for that and uh, want to invite you to pick up a copy of this. It's a devotional book on the Proverbs, a daily devotional, a page a day. The Proverbs contain 600 individual sayings. The problem is they're in random order. And what I've done in this book is collate them under five mega themes, wisdom, righteousness, relationships, your heart and your tongue, and the mo your money and your future. And almost all the Proverbs relate to one of those five mega themes. And we spend five weeks on each of those five themes, 175 days. And you can have a better life. 
if you'll follow God's wisdom in the Proverbs. That's why I wrote this book. doesn't mean the circumstances of your life may not be better, but your, the core of your life will be better because God designed life. He knows how it's supposed to work. And uh, so I want to encourage you to uh, spend some time in the Proverbs. Maybe you uh, uh, started out New Year's with a resolution to read your Bible every day, and that sort of fizzled since then. You can pick it back up because you can do this in half a year. And so this could get you back into a daily devotional pattern. Maybe you'd want to share it with uh, uh, somebody who's a young adult. Proverbs is especially written for teenagers, 20s, and early 30s. Uh, as you begin your life patterns and choices, there's a chapter on friendships, chapter on alcohol, there's a chapter on uh, money, planning for the future. All of those are major themes in Proverbs. And so um, I'd commend that to you. It's $17.95 or if you want it on your phone or your tablet, you can get it for $3.99 from uh, Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com and, and have that available that way. Um, I, uh, I, Tim Fox is here. I dedicated this book to Tim Fox because Tim has been, Mildred Guys was the encourager in my life to write that first book. After she died, I thought, who's going to be the Mildred guy in my life now? to prod me to keep writing and to stay on schedule and to encourage me. Tim Fox has been that person the last several years. He's read my book every year, all the way through, ever since it came out. He's advocated more than anybody. Tim, love you. Appreciate you. You're a Barnabas in my life. Everybody needs a Barnabas, and I thank God for you. Uh, appreciate him so much. <clears throat> so anyway, that's that. Now I'm changing gears again, okay? So I want to talk to you about Finish Line for just a few moments. Finish Line is our campaign of capital giving where we're asking each church member to prayerfully consider over these next few weeks, would you give extra above your regular tithes and offerings for a three-year period, 156 weeks or 36 months, to enable us to pay off our church loan on our new buildings, new property, new parking, 95% uh, of the receipts to finish line will go to that. Uh, if we meet our goal of $475,000 is our goal that we're asking families, if we can meet that goal, we'll be out of debt. We'll have it all paid off three years from now, May 31st, 2021. So that's our goal. 5% uh, of the receipts will go toward the future, 95 to the past, 5 to the future, to develop new parking and new property that we've purchased. So uh, we're asking you just to prayerfully consider that, and if you will join us to make a commitment, you can make a commitment online on our church website, or by picking up a paper commitment card at one of our deposit boxes or the Welcome Center, filling it out, putting it back in the deposit box there, uh, by May the 6th is our commitment day. And you say, well, why are we doing commitments? Why don't we just, we just give? We just give some. Why do you want a commitment? Well, we believe in commitments. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to Jesus at the end of this service. Commitments are powerful. They have power in your life. We don't just say, why don't you follow Jesus some? We say, no, will you be baptized? Will you make a concrete commitment? We ask people who are leaders in our church to make a commitment for a year. And, and not just say, well, somebody show up and help us this week. No, you make a commitment. They're powerful. Now you say, well, what if, uh, I don't know the future, uh, how do I know what will be three years ahead? I might lose my job. If your situation changes, you're released from your commitment. Just like our connection group leaders, they commit for a year, but if their job moves them to another city, they're released from that commitment. Same with you. If you lose your job or whatever, you're released. But if your situation is as it is now, will you commit? Because systematic commitment will mean more to us and it'll grow you. This will be a growth point in the lives of some people. So I want to encourage you 
Anytime you're ready over the next few weeks, by May 6th is when we're asking folks to make commitments. Now, today, I'm going to share with you our leadership commitments. We asked our ministry staff and our deacons if they would make an early commitment as an example of leadership. We get this idea from the scripture. In the Old Testament, when they built the temple, David was not allowed to build the temple. His son, would, Solomon, would build it. But David was allowed by God to raise money for the temple and to drop the plans for the temple. And so in 1 Chronicles 29, it tells about how David spoke to the people, as I'm speaking to you today, and he said, we're giving all this from the temple treasury. And then, beginning in verse 3 of 1 Chronicles 29, he said, besides in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of God over and above everything I provided for this holy temple. And then he told how much he was giving, 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of refined silver, um, and so on it went. Now, he said, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? So, uh, we've asked our deacons and ministry staff to do that, and 26 um, commitments from our deacons and ministry staff. Uh, we have a commitment so far of, you ready? $149,630. We put that up there on the screen so you can see that. And it's, uh, we praise God for that. Now, what it says in this scripture is, then the leaders of families, officers of tribes, commanders of the thousands, they gave toward the work of the temple of God. It tells how much they gave. And it says the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly. So what we want to do today is rejoice greatly. We rejoice greatly in this start. Praise God. We rejoice greatly. So, 26 families have already given about 30, 31% of the, the goal, $475,000. So now that leaders have set this example for you, we're asking you to prayerfully consider, would you join them and uh, make this commitment and join us in the investing in the kingdom that God has called us to do. So, would you prayerfully consider that over these next few weeks and respond as God leads you to respond. Okay, today I want to share with you, as we look at God's Word in a moment, in relation to our church theme for 2018. Our church theme for 2018 is turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations. This is just something that I'm going to be coming back to throughout the year in different ways, in sermons and in training, because it's so important that we just seep into our consciousness that we have a mission to talk to people about Jesus and his offer of grace to them. And so we've, as we make it our theme, we're just trying to seep that into our daily lives that we turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. So today, in support of that, I want to share with you an Old Testament story that's found in, in the 2 Kings 6 and 7 that tells the motivation and the rationale uh, for what we're doing in making that our church theme. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is first tell you the story. You may just want to listen, and then we're going to look at some specific verses that make application of that to us. And I would suggest that this is a story that you might use in your conversations if somebody ever says, why do you keep inviting me to church? Or why do you talk about Jesus so much? This is a story that you could tell them to explain why you talk about Jesus why you invite people to church. So here's the story. Let me recreate it for you. 
It comes at a time after the death of Solomon. If you know Bible history, the nation of Israel then divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Northern kingdom called Israel, and its capital city was Samaria. So this part of God's people called Israel, capital city of Samaria, was invaded by their enemies, the Arameans. The Arameans invaded Israel and surrounded the city of Samaria. In ancient warfare with these big walled cities, it was very difficult to breach the walls to get over them and conquer a city. So what they would often do is lay siege to the city. That is, they would surround the city with their armies to cut off escape and to cut off supply routes and then just wake them out, starve them to death so that the city would surrender and come out from behind the walls. Well, that's what the Arameans did. They lay siege to the city of Samaria, cut off supplies, and waited. And the people inside the city began to starve. In fact, the Bible tells us that a donkey's head was selling for 80 pieces of silver. I've never eaten a donkey or any part of a donkey, but I would assume that's the least desirable part of the donkey. A donkey was unclean in the law, but even at this unclean animal, this undesirable part of a donkey selling for an exorbitantly high price and the Bible says it had gotten so bad that a quarter pound you've had a quarter pounder right a quarter pound of seed pods or one translation has there's different uh, the word we're not sure about dove dung you ever had a quarter pounder of dove dung well a quarter pounder of dove dung sell for five pieces of silver um, I guess after you eat the doves and they're gone, then whatever protein source might be available left from them, you eat it when you're starving to death. So in other words, the point is, things were bad in the city, right? It's so bad, in fact, that the Bible says that some people had even resorted to cannibalism, to eating the children. And the king, when he heard these things, he was outraged at what was happening to his city. And when you're outraged, you look for a scapegoat. And so the prophet Elisha, had been telling them that God would judge them, so he blames it on Elisha, so he sends a messenger, we're going to kill Elisha. You know, you just, you're angry, you're going to do something, I'm going to kill this prophet. Elisha, by the power of God, knows that he's coming, makes preparation, he says, they're coming, get ready at the doors. And they come, and, and, and Elisha is not killed, and he has an audience with the king, and he says to the king, listen, this famine's going to be over by tomorrow at this time, Two gallons of fine flour will sell for one piece of silver. He's saying the situation is going to change so drastically in 24 hours that you can buy two gallons of fine flour for half or a fifth of the price of a quarter pounder of dove dung. It's going to change a lot. Outside the city of Samaria are four lepers, people with leprosy could not live in the city. They believed it to be highly contagious. They isolated them. They were outcasts. They had to stay outside the city. Sort of in the no man's land, you've got the wall city here, and then out of arrow range, you've got the camps of the Arameans surrounding the city, and in that in-between, that no man's land, these lepers live in a tent or under some shelter out in the open. And they are suffering the worst because um, lepers would be beggars. They would subsist off what people would give them to eat. 
and nobody's giving you much when everybody else is starving to death, right? So they're going to starve to death first. So they come to the conclusion, we, they won't let us in the city. We're going to die here. Let's go and surrender to the Arameans. They may kill us, but we're going to die within a few days anyway, and they might have mercy on us. So the uh, four lepers decide that's what they'll do, and they go to the camp of the Arameans and say, we surrender, we surrender, don't, don't kill us. We've come to surrender. And they look around, and there's nobody there. The camp's deserted. The Bible says it's about dusk when they do this. It's supper time. The food is cooking on the fires, but it has been left. The tents are there. The armaments are there. But there's nobody there. And they're in a deserted camp. And the Bible tells us that God, in his mercy for the people of Israel, had sent the sound of hoofbeats and the sound of chariots. And the Arameans surmised that the Israelites had hired Hittites and Egyptians as mercenaries and that they were coming to fight against them. And the Arameans panicked and they fled. They retreated and they panicked and left in such haste that they left all of their tents and all of their treasures and all of their food cooking and these four lepers had hit the jackpot and they eat they gorge themselves oh, oh this is wonderful they eat everything they can find and they had on filthy rags as beggars and they stripped that off and they went in some of the tents and they got royal robes and they put them on and they put gold, they found treasure, put chains around their necks and royal rings on their fingers and wow, this is great. And then it dawned on them, we're not doing right. There's a whole city of people over there who are starving to death and we can't eat another bite. We've got to go tell them. So they leave the camp of the Arameans, go back across no man's land, and they, outside the gates of the city, they call to the guards on the wall, hey, it's us lepers out here. We got something to tell you. The Arameans left, they're gone. Their camp is deserted. And there's all kind of food over there. I'm stuffed. I can't eat another bite. And there's plenty of food. Our story started at dusk. It's nighttime now. They look over the walls. They maybe can see the flickering fires of the camps, but they can't see movement. Word gets to the king of what these lepers are saying, and they don't know what to do. The king fears that maybe this is a trap. Maybe they've just pulled back to create the appearance of leaving. And then when these people rush out to get this food, they're going to close in on them and, and uh, shorten this siege and win the war. They're not sure. The king decides we're going to send out messengers. There's a few horses left in the city. He's going to take a few of those precious horses and send riders out. And so the gates open and those riders come out and they, they go across that um, no man's land and through the camps and they follow the trail of the retreating army all the way to the fords of the Jordan River, the border of their country and there's a trail of equipment and of supplies that are 
that are left and they come back and they tell the people in the city, it's true, it's true, the Arameans have retreated, they're gone. The gates of the city open and there is a stampede of people coming out. There was a one man, one of the king's officials, who the day before had doubted Elisha when he said, uh, tomorrow by this time, food will be cheap. And Elisha had said to that king's official who was, who was so skeptical, you'll see it, but you'll not eat of it. And sure enough, as this horde comes out of the city toward that waiting buffet, that smorgasbord, they trample to death that official that had doubted the word of God and he lived to see it, but he did not eat of it. And the city, they gorged themselves on the plunder of the Arameans. What does this story have to do with us? What does it have to do with our theme for the year of turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations? Well, one of the ways to apply the Bible in some of these Old Testament stories where you're not sure of the points of connection is to ask yourself, where would I fit into this story? Who could I identify with in this story? And let me say to you that the point of identification for us in this story is that we, you and I, are the, like the lepers. We're like the lepers in this story. Spiritually, we are what the lepers were physically. You are and I have sinned. We're sinners. And we are spiritually unclean. And because of our spiritual uncleanness, we cannot enter the city of God. We are cut off from heaven. We're alienated from a holy God and his holy heaven. And we are outcasts. We're unclean. If you're not sure that's true, let me read to you a verse from the Bible. Isaiah chapter 64, verse uh, 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So spiritually, we are the same as these lepers. Unclean, outcasts, unwanted. But we have stumbled upon the riches of a banquet table. We, have, who are Christians, have come to experience the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the eternal life of God that could only be required to a, an extravagant treasure, an extravagant inheritance. Again, let me read that to you in Ephesians, a few verses. Chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 says, In Him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And later in the chapter, Ephesians 1, verse 18, it says, Paul prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. One more from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul says, although I'm less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And so we are like lepers 
who have come into a camp and we've just gorged ourselves on the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God and we've put on fine robes. We're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We wear royal robes and we wear the signet rings of the king. You are a child of the king through faith in Jesus Christ. We are like these lepers who have stumbled upon great riches. And we are morally wrong if we keep it to ourselves. We cannot. Somebody asks you, why do you talk about Jesus all the time? You tell them this story. You tell them, I cannot. I, I, I would be doing wrong. Let me read to you the key verse from this story. 2 Kings 7, 9. The lepers said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait till daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. You see, the people of our world are like that city of Samaria. They're empty. And we are standing out there saying, come to the buffet. There are riches there. And we do wrong if we don't talk about this. We're morally wrong if we don't speak about Jesus. Let me tell you a story. I, we do mission trips, and Jake does a great job now leading all of those and coordinating those. And uh, one of our mission partners is Miami University. There's the church, the Bridge Church on campus. And we usually go and support them in their move-in day in late August when freshmen move in. What we do is wear the Bridge t-shirts that says the Bridge Church and help to carry freshman kids' belongings from the sidewalk where their parents drop them off up to their rooms and uh, you carry their stuff all day and mountains of stuff that they bring. and, and uh, you, uh, then you're wearing that t-shirt, you invite them to the bridge, you're able to make a contact as freshmen to get in the habit of going to church. A great ministry. One of the first years we did it, it was a blistering hot summer day in late August. And by late afternoon, our shirts were just stuck to us with sweat, and it was, we were just dripping sweat. We quit late afternoon and reconvened some teams at different dorms, and and uh, among those on the trip that year were Barry and Cookie Baker. Some of you know them. They're former members of our church who have since moved to Alabama. I don't know why anyone would move to Alabama from Tennessee, <laughs> but they did. And so, uh, but uh, Barry, as we were telling about our experiences, he said, hey, did, did you get free ice cream? And I said, free ice cream? No, we didn't get any free ice cream. And he said, well, there was a fraternity or somebody coming around and they were giving free ice cream to all the volunteers that were, were working in move-in day. And we had ice cream. And he's telling me, I said, oh, I didn't have any ice cream. Why didn't you come tell me there was ice cream? Well, you weren't there. I said, Barry, you were at this dorm. I was at this dorm. You just walked from that dorm to this dorm and tell me there's free ice cream over here. And he said, well, I didn't know if you'd want it. You didn't. It's 100 degrees out here. You didn't know if I would want free ice cream? I gave him a hard time about it. And so now, ever since, 
Whenever Barry Baker encounters free ice cream, he calls me. <laughs> Wherever he is, whenever it is, he calls me. I don't want you to miss this opportunity. The last year, Barry and Cookie come and work the Jesus Tent, another of our mission ventures and, uh, at Bonnaroo. And my phone rang one day during Bonnaroo. And it said, hey, this is Barry. Somebody came to the Jesus Tent, and they, they're giving out free ice cream to all the workers in the Jesus Tent. And I want you to know about it. I said, Barry, I can't come right now. He said, well, I, didn't want, I wanted to let you know, though, that there's free ice cream here. I get calls all the time now about free ice cream. We've laughed a lot about that. We've got something better than ice cream. We have the riches of the inheritance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are morally wrong if we don't talk to people about it. Now let me say another thing, another parallel with this story. And that is, not everyone will believe the good news immediately. And we must be patient with them. You see, if you're a leper here, standing, telling these people, there is all kind of food over there. What is wrong with you people staying behind these walls? It's tempted to be like that. But you see, it seemed too good to be true for the people in Samaria. It, that just doesn't happen very often. And it's the same thing with us. They had to send out some investigation. They had to, it, it took them time to become convinced that this offer wasn't a trick, wasn't a catch to it. So I want to encourage you with your relatives and your friends who are not yet believers, be patient with them. Don't become angry with people who are not believers. It might, have taken, might take you a while to believe that this offer. They may need to investigate. They may need to check out the evidence and come out and check it out a while. And that's understandable sometimes. Because this offer is so unbelievable. And then let me say something to those of you who might be here today and you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ. Let me explain to you from this story why we sometimes are persistent or maybe we even seem to you a little bit pushy. It is not that we think we're superior to you or better than you. It is that we are lepers who have stumbled upon by no ingenuity of our own the greatest thing in the world and we are morally wrong if we don't tell you about it. We are just like you and we just bumbled into the inheritance of God and we just want you to know that. And Jesus, when he came, he compared the kingdom to a rich banquet that was laid. And everybody was invited, but not everybody would come. And so this king in Jesus' story says, go out and get street people and homeless people, and it doesn't matter, anybody, and invite them into the banquet because there's enough for everybody that my house may be full. And that is the royal offer of this smorgasbord of grace to you. May seem too good to be true. But God offers you inheritance, you forgiveness, you righteousness, you peace, you joy, you the riches 
of eternal abundance as a free gift through his son, Jesus Christ. And we're morally wrong if we don't tell you about it. Yesterday uh, was the funeral of Barbara Bush, former first lady of the United States. And at her funeral, her daughter shared about what she said shortly before she died. Miss Bush said to her daughter, I believe in Jesus. He is my Savior. I don't want to leave your father, but I'm going to a better place. I wonder when it comes time for you, because you're going to come to that point, it'll be the death of the return of Christ. Will you be able to say those three sentences? I believe in Jesus. He is my Savior. I don't want to leave my family, but I know I'm going to a better place. That comes from recognizing that you are a leper, a spiritual outcast, and receiving the grace gift of riches through Jesus, an inheritance. And it will give you that calm and that peace, even in the face of death. And we have been entrusted to give you a ticket to the banquet today. Would you stand together with me? If today you would receive God's offer of grace, forgiveness, and eternal life, you'd be baptized in his name, you'd submit to his lordship and live in obedience to him, would you walk forward while we're singing and meet me here as a way of indicating your willingness to become a Christian? You can be baptized at our next opportunity. Maybe you need a church home, this same opportunity to join our church, either by coming for baptism or by statement of your previous baptism. You don't have to make advanced preparation. You can come. We'd welcome you on those conditions. And so as God speaks to you, you come. Let's sing together. As we call on your name, would you make this a place for your glory to dwell? Open the blind eyes, unlock the deaf ears, hear through your people as we draw near. Hear us from heaven, touch our generation.
Uh, we're going to give our uh, offerings now in worship to the Lord. And if you're a guest, you can just let your guest card be your offering. We give back to God out of the riches that he has given us. We give back to say, thank you, God. We worship you. Let us pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the rain. We just thank you, Lord, for all the provisions you provide us daily. And we're so grateful, God, to have a big God that just takes care of us and feeds us and clothes us and just gives us, uh, God, opportunities to, to live for you. And we pray, God, uh, for these who have made decisions to pay. We pray, God, that as a church family, we will love them and support them. And, uh, God, we're just so grateful for the grace and the mercy that you provide for us daily. God, we just want to ask your blessings on the tithes and pray, God, you give us wisdom in how we use this to grow your kingdom, to honor you in all we do. In Christ's name we pray.
Thank you, Jamie. And now it's my privilege to introduce uh, Brylin McAdams to you. Would you and your mom and dad come and stand by me? This is Brian and Caitlin McAdams and their family. And Brylin, this uh, uh, has accepted Christ as her savior. Jake had the opportunity to talk with her and lead her in prayer to receive Christ. And she comes to be baptized and be a part of our church now. And so we're excited for her. If you'll welcome her into our church and pray for her as she grows as a new Christian, would you lift your hand and say amen? Amen indeed. We're so proud of you. May God bless you as you grow in Christ. Thank you. You can have a seat here if you'd like to for a moment. And Jake's going to come and, uh, is that right? One of the, who's coming? Tim's going to come and close this out. I get mixed up. One of them is. As we close, uh, we've got just a couple of quick announcements for you, that things you can put on your calendars over the next couple of Sunday nights. We've got the Student Variety Show next Sunday night. And then on May 6th, we've got the Kids Musical. Uh, from acorns to oaks so you're not going to want to miss those two events but tonight if you are helping with vbs just want to remind you that we have those uh, leader training meetings tonight so if you're helping with the young kids this is your first year you need to be here at 4 30. if you've taught before you can be here at five and that meeting will be at d in d204 that's up through fifth grade if you're helping with the middle school our meeting begins at five and that'll be in room c200 all right let's close in prayer Oh God, we thank you for the ways that you have richly blessed us and the way that you care for us and protect us and provide for us and direct us. Now that you are involved in our lives, the way that you are, we thank you for your goodness, just your, your mercy that you've showered upon us. And we thank you for Brylin and, and her decision to trust in you and to give her life to you and, and to follow you as her Savior. Lord, we thank you that you uh, allow us to be a part of the Great Commission. And we're just obligated to be able to tell others about Christ and to, and to go and tell them about your goodness. Lord, it's in your sons and we pray. Amen. Amen.